0: Steve Donahue, welcome to another episode of the Legacy Podcast, helping you build your legacy. This episode is number 249, and this is going to be a recording of a message that I preached to Mount Tabor Baptist Church from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. This, of course, concludes the book of Ephesians, and hopefully if you've been listening through the entire um, series on it, that it has been helpful for you and instructive to you, and uh, this will just be kind of some concluding comments and responses of uh, Paul and uh, helpful for us in that. If you want to get more information and find out all the resources available with reference to this, uh, make sure you check out the show notes at legacypodcast.com episode 249. Thanks for listening. Communication has changed over the years significantly, especially with the advent of the technological revolution. And uh, it's quite amusing sometimes to even see how correspondence and communication has changed. I remember uh, one time Graham went to a, a summer camp and he was telling me how the two girls in the back seat sitting next to each other were texting each other on their phones, even though they were sitting directly next to each other. And I think that happens more frequently than we might like to admit. And uh, certainly there is a great deal of communication that takes place on devices uh, through Facebook and through Twitter and through all these different kinds of things. But I think one of the challenges with that is that the art of letter writing has pretty much gone. Some of you probably remember in school learning how to write a letter. In the proper form, whether it be a business letter or a personal letter, and you learned all the different kinds of ways of doing that and uh, Of course, nowadays, so much is communicated through email and and uh, through other means that the actual art of letter writing has been so much vacant now, I know that for years and years and years, people historians who have looked at the past have used letters as a great means of understanding the culture of the day, and you could look at letters that were written between. Army officers and their wives back home and you can learn a lot about the the culture and the the time period and things like that through letters and I wonder if 50 years from now what people are going to look back in our culture was they they look over Twitter feeds (laughs) and they look over Facebook posts and emails and things like that and and uh, what they're going to glean from our culture well in the first century letter writing was the primary means of communication And it wasn't um, like today where you can hear from a missionary at a moment's notice through an email that is sent out, a mass email that goes to everybody. Um, If someone wanted to communicate something to someone else, they had to draft up a letter. Then they had to give it to a courier who would then take that message and, and deliver it to wherever that they're going using the Roman roads that were so popular in the day. And we've been looking at the book of Ephesians now for several months and the book of Ephesians is written in that way. Now one thing that's interesting to note uh, at the closing uh, paragraph here as we will look at it, um, very often in Paul's letters at the end he gives personal address to some of the people that were dwelling in that city that were a part of the church. We don't find that here in the book of Ephesians and it's entirely possible that Paul had intended And many scholars believe that Paul intended for the book of Ephesians not just to be written to the church in Ephesus, but actually to all the churches in the surrounding region. That's why he does not give specific address to certain people uh, within the region or the city of Ephesus. But nonetheless, we can gain some very interesting understanding about Paul's letter from what is written here in these last concluding statements. By the way, I just want to indicate you might be interested in this. The typical home receives a personal letter about every seven weeks today. Uh, Just back in 1987, it was about every two weeks. And I wonder if there will be a day where we never receive a personal letter in the mail anymore. Nowadays, uh, I don't know, I'm sure your postage is very similar to mine. Uh, Almost everything that comes in the mail now is either junk mail or a bill. And um, it, it's a great thing when you actually receive a personal letter from somebody in the mail because you don't ever, I don't ever see that anymore. Well, the people of Ephesus would have received a personal letter here from Paul. And uh, there, there is some aspect of Paul's correspondence in these last few lines of his epistle that bring out some personality of Paul and uh, are some personal notations that I think are important for us. Uh, To understand and there's four words really that outline this text that I think we need to emphasize and they are essentials that are needed within the ministry of the church. And the first one is this courage, courage in verses 19 and 20. We read that Paul is uh, asking previously before that we looked at the the armor and the weapons of war that God had. Uh, Given to us in our spiritual combat and he closes that by basically saying that we need to pray and pray diligently we looked at that last week and then he he continues that dialogue by uh, discussing the importance it is for them to pray for him and it says in verse 19 and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, it's interesting to know what he does not ask for here. If you recall, he is in prison at this point or in jail in in Rome awaiting a trial before Caesar. And he is basically locked up into his house and there is a guard out front. And uh, he has some liberty to receive guests. And yet uh, he is certainly not a free man. But he doesn't ask for his freedom. He doesn't ask for justice. He doesn't ask for his rights to be uh, allowed to prevail. He doesn't ask for uh, personal right conduct. He doesn't ask for any personal comfort. What does he ask for? It says that he asks for boldness. So that he might be able to preach... Faithfully and openly the word of God now he was facing trial before Caesar and most likely what he is asking for at this stage is he is asking for when the time comes for him to be able to come before Caesar that he would have the boldness to be able to preach the word of God faithfully uh, before Caesar. Now this is significance and there has some significance here because if Paul is asking for courage, if he is asking for boldness to be able to preach the gospel, and I personally believe that Paul was probably one of the greatest preachers of all time, if not the greatest preacher of all time, and he is asking for courage to do that, how much more do we need courage to be able to preach the word of God boldly? It demonstrates his humanity. And if he asks for it, so should we. So why, why is it important that we ask for boldness in, in preaching? Why was it that Paul asked for boldness or courage in his preaching? Well, it's, I think it's only natural for man to fear man more than God. Uh, I, I would guess that most of us have missed out on opportunities to proclaim the gospel because we we're afraid of what someone might think. We're afraid that our, our neighbor might not like us anymore. Or that person at work might think that we're a little weird because we share the gospel with them. And so we don't. And so we need courage. And we need to pray for courage. We have a tendency to compromise the message, to water down the message, or even to not say anything at all. Because we are afraid of what people might think. Instead, we must ask God for courage, just as Paul does, to be able to preach the gospel. I don't think that we ever avoid that tendency or that we can ever get beyond that tendency to be afraid to proclaim the gospel. Well, one of the, uh, one of my favorite people today is a man named Ray Comfort. And Ray Comfort is an evangelist. He teaches people how to evangelize. And he, he has for years preached, open air, preaching in front of courthouses and, and uh, trying to draw a crowd and proclaim the gospel. And uh, someone asked him one time, he says, how do you overcome your nerves and your fear of getting up in the preaching? he says, I have it every day. <laughs> He says, I, I've never gotten over that. He says, I just, I want to proclaim the gospel more than I do want to fear men. And that's the key. We need the courage to be able to do that. That's what Paul's asking for here. Paul is facing Roman rulers and he wants to be able to preach to them. Uh, and certainly uh, he needs courage to do that. Most of us, though, are afraid to even talk to our neighbors. And so if he needs the courage, so should we. It is important that we have this boldness or courage so that the message gets out clearly and faithfully. Because it is through the message of the gospel that uh, people come to faith And that uh, God is able to work through that means to bring people to himself So how do we get this courage? Well, we ask for it in prayer, just as Paul was doing He's coveting prayers from the people of God So that he might have the courage necessary to do that And if you're lacking courage to be able to share the gospel with a friend or with a neighbor With a, a grandchild or somebody else that you might know Ask God for it And secondly, we grow in faith we grow in courage as we meditate upon the word of God and we dwell upon the promises that he has for us and we understand the depth that he has for us. But then we're able to persevere. Now, I want to say that it is encouraging note that Paul was faithful, that God gave him the courage and he proclaimed the word of God. We see this in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31 at the end of the book of Acts. Paul uh, is or, um, uh Luke, who is the author of Acts, leaves us with this. Idea about Paul. He says, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So God answered the prayers. He asked for prayers for boldness. God answered the prayers. He was courageous enough to proclaim the word faithfully. Are you afraid to preach? The gospel to your neighbor or someone you know who is in need of hearing the gospel. You're not alone. You need courage to do it as all of us do. The good news is that God is able to supply you with that kind of courage. In fact, he will not ask us to do what he does not also equip us to do. And so I can help you if you have uh, just some questions about how to do that. Um, But let us be reminded of the, the words that are spoken to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor do you be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the first thing that we see here in this, the first word that I want us to emphasize is courage. The second one is companionship. Companionship. Paul speaks here of Tychicus, a companion of his. In verse 20, 21, he says, But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you. Now, nothing more is known of Tychicus except for what we find here in the scriptures. And in Colossians chapter four, verses seven through nine, we are given some idea as to who he was in a similar passage as this it says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. So he is carrying the letter not only Of the Ephesians to the Ephesians but he's carrying the letter also of the Colossians as well as uh, to letters to Timothy and Titus and so he was carrying all these letters that Paul had been writing while he was in jail in uh, Rome and uh, he's distributing the various correspondence to those uh, Paul had written to. And it says, uh, I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you the things which are happening here. And then, of course, we read in Ephesians chapter six, the passage that I'm looking at today, very similar things. In fact, he he calls Tychicus a beloved brother. This is probably a reference to his conversion of faith, but also to his his uh, partnership his faithfulness in ministry and his relationship to Paul. He's, con- he's called a faithful minister in the Lord. He was a missionary companion of Paul who was faithful to the mission of proclaiming the gospel and building up the church. His name actually means fortuitous or fortune and uh, certainly a well-designated name. He was one of the Gentile converts that Paul used both for testimony and for ministry. He was faithful to Paul uh, as a replacement for Timothy and Titus when Paul could not use them any longer. And uh, he was given the responsibility of carrying the letters to Colossae, to uh, Philemon, and uh, to, uh, to the church in Ephesus. Now, why was his companionship so important in ministry? And why is companionship in general so important in ministry? Well, one reason is that it's lonely otherwise. God never designed ministry to be done individually. He never designed ministry to be done just by one person or uh, individually by oneself. Uh, Even the great need companions. Paul, the greatest of the missionaries, the greatest of the apostles, was still in need of companionship and support and help in the ministry. And each one of us is gifted differently. Uh, Some people have a better knack for communication. Some people have a better knack for serving. Some people have been gifted in uh, administration. Some people have been gifted in all the various ways. We see see in the scriptures over and over again that Paul uh, uses um, the metaphor of the body of Christ to talk about how each individual member makes up the body. And then you can't do without one part without also uh, uh, hurting the whole. And so here we see. Paul needing the companionship of Tychicus in order to be able to accomplish what he has. The task is too big to be done alone. Only a fool would think that the, the gospel can be preached and the people can be reached by oneself alone without the, without the coordination, the cooperation, the companionship in ministry. We cannot think that we can serve God alone. It was never his intent and it will never be successful. It is in fact when we think that we can do it alone that we get in trouble. Why is it that Jesus sent out his disciples two by two? Because they need some companionship. Why is it wise in the scriptures and why do the scriptures call for there to be a plurality of leadership in the church? Because it is important for there to be uh, that kind of partnership. Solomon wisely demonstrates the importance of companionship in ministry with these words in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through 12. He says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So here are some questions for reflection regarding this. What kind of companion in ministry are you? Secondly, with whom can you work to accomplish the work Of ministry, And thirdly, what prevents you from working together for the sake of the gospel? Very often it's pride and laziness are the two things that get in the way. And if that's the case, then you need to repent of those things and uh, trust that Christ has equipped you and enabled you to be of help in the ministry. So we see courage. We see companionship. But thirdly, I want us to see communication, communication. We see this in verses 21 and 22. And it says here that Paul is sending on Tychicus to the church in Ephesus that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. He will make these things known to you. And then also it says that you may know our affairs. So twice he indicates that the purpose in him sending on Tychicus is so that Tychicus might be able to communicate more than what is in the letter about what God is doing in Rome through Paul. And so why is communication so important in ministry? One, it aids in prayer. Uh, this holds true for missionaries. How many of you all have ever received a missionary testimony, a missionary report? I, I'm, I'm, I'm saddened that the WMU is... Uh, huh? No, let me finish. I'm saddened that the WMU is not going to be holding their meetings because very often it is through the WMU that many Southern Baptist churches are aware of what's going on in the missions field. And are being told what it is that is taking place. And certainly there are ways that you can connect with the International Mission Board now. And uh, you can download videos. You can watch videos. You can download all kinds of information what's taking place among missionaries around the globe. Um, But it is very important for us to be able to know specifically sometimes what's going on. Now, there's one challenge when it comes to Southern Baptists in this. We've got like 4,000-some missionaries out there, I think. That's just an enormous amount of missionaries. We can't personally know what's going on with all of them. There's no way we can't keep up with them. That's one of the things that's nice sometimes when you've got uh, missionaries that are local, like the Yoders or something like that, that are able to uh, serve in in certain capacities and and, uh, churches are able to support others in uh, in various ways. And uh, so it's... It's nice to be able to know personally what missionaries are going on because then you can be in contact with them and communicate with them and they with you. And you're able to pray more specifically for this. But this is true not only with missionaries, but it's true in other ways as well. It holds true with churches, not just with missionaries. And uh, communication is vitally important. I think sometimes we, um, we fail to communicate with the church what's going on in our lives because we're private people. <coughs> And very often we, we don't like to share what's going on in our lives. We think that we can handle it ourselves. But that's part of the body of Christ is to be able to know what's going on so that we can more appropriately pray for one another. That doesn't mean we just need to you know, sit around and have a, a gospel or a gos- gossip session with one another. Um, but where there, where there is a legitimate need, we need to voice that so that the communication is available and prayer can be aided in that way. It also aids in accountability. When we know the business of others, when we know what 's taking place not only abroad in the missions field but also locally, we know what 's going on in households, we know what 's going on in the local churches uh, we 're able to keep one another accountable so that people do not go astray. It also aids in glorifying God when we 're able to see what 's taking place, I guarantee that when the church in Ephesus was able to hear the the amount of preaching that Paul was doing in the Roman, among the Roman guards and around, among the, the Roman citizens. And uh, it, it was a way of bringing glory to God. They were able to see firsthand testimony or hear firsthand testimony of what God is able to do. And certainly when we are able to communicate on a personal level with those within the church and with one another about what God is doing, it is a great testimony that brings glory to God. What a blessing it is for us to live in an age in which we have so much information that is available to us. So many ways in which we can make known what God is doing and hear about what God is doing in the churches here and abroad. In minutes, plans and prayer requests can be sent out through the Internet and we're able to be uh, abreast of what is going on. Are you taking advantage of these communications to pray more diligently and more specifically for Christians and for the church as a whole? We need to keep Christians accountable by doing this. We need to uh, make our prayers more specifically uh, directed. And we need to praise God for what he is doing as we hear the communication of what God is doing. And then finally, I want us to notice not only the courage, not only the communication, not only the companionship, but the concluding matters. The concluding matters or the conclusion we see in verses 23 and 24. Paul, as he does in all of his letters, concludes with a benediction. And we see here this benediction and uh, very often as he does here, he reemphasizes some of the main themes that he has discussed within the letter. And he does that as well. And so what we're going to do in this, as we look at these, we're going to briefly summarize uh, many of the places in the, the book or in the letter where he has discussed this and the important principles as it relates to it. These two verses are a benediction, and Paul emphasizes important themes that are detailed here. First of all, he he mentions the grace of peace. Look with me in verse 23. It says, peace to the brethren, love with faith from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about the grace be with all those. And certainly peace is a, a result of God's gifting to us. It is needed because the Bible says that the wrath of God is upon man for our sin. Therefore, there is a need for peace to be made. Christ is the one who has made that peace possible by being our redeemer for us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, very beginning. So at the beginning of the letter and at the close, he talks about peace. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This grace of peace brings us peace with God. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 14 through 17 says for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances. So as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and to those who were near. It is the grace of peace that God gives to us that enables us to be able to enter in boldly to the throne of God, to find help in our time of need. We have now been made peace. No longer are we enemies, but we have been made at peace. This grace is a peace has also enabled us to live peaceably with others within the church. Ephesians chapter four, verse three says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then also he speaks about the grace of love without love. The church is a poor testimony to the world because God himself is love. And so the grace enables us to genuinely love. Church members in Ephesians chapter one, verse 15, it says, therefore, I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. And it also enables us to endure difficult people uh, patiently and lovingly. Ephesians chapter four says this with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head that is Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth in the body for the edifying of itself in love. And so it is the grace of love that enables us to cooperate with one another, to work together, and to serve one another, and to demonstrate the love that God has for his people. This grace enables husbands to treat their wives the way that Christ treats his church. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respect her husband. So we have the grace of love. We have the grace of peace. But finally, he speaks about the grace of faith. Faith is the means by which the promises of God are received by the Christian Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15 says therefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints this grace is the means by which people are saved in Ephesians 2 verse 8 it says for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself it is a gift of God this grace enables us to have confidence in the promises of christ ephesians chapter 3 verse 12 and 17 says in whom we also have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may exercise faith this grace enables us to unite together with other believers ephesians chapter 4 says there's one faith one lord one baptism Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then finally, we're told here that these graces are from God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, our faith, our peace, our love, all of the aspects that he has spoken about here are gifts from God. They are manifestations of his spirit within us. It is the grace showing itself in peace, love and faith that enable the minister of God to do the work of the ministry and they give the church hope and encouragement. We should praise God. Just as it says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, as we began so we will end. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And this is the min- and this is seen in the ministry of the church for the glory of God. Let's
1: pray. I think that it's time we start crying for our nation and bow our heads and pray. If today you lost your life, what would you leave behind? What would the ones around you see? What happened in the dash between your birth and death? What will you do to change your legacy? One day we'll wither away And to this world we'll have to say goodbye But just like the plant that withers away We will leave many seeds behind If today you lost your life What would you leave behind? What would the ones around you see? What happened in the dash Between your birth and death What will you do to change your legacy If today you lost your life What would you leave behind What would the ones around you see What happened in the dash between your birth and death? What will you do to change your legacy? What will you do to change your...